Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the fast and easy cloud accounting solution helping millions of small business owners save time invoicing and get paid faster. You can try FreshBooks right now for free. Just go to freshbooks.com slash twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section for a free trial. This week on TWIP, if you don't want your work stolen, don't post it online. Apple Patent sends GoPro's stock price for a tumble, and changes coming to Sony's Play Memories online service are definitely worth the PSA listen. It is Monday, January 19th, 2015, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. Frederick is on assignment this week, so I'm your host, Joseph Lenashke. Joining me to discuss the world of photography this week is Martin Bailey. Welcome back, Martin. So how about give us a brief introduction for those who may not know you too well, and for those that do, tell us what you've been up to lately. Yeah, well, hi, Joseph. Uh, it's nice to talk to you. Um, looking forward to the show. I'm, uh, I'm Martin Bailey. I'm, you probably tell from the accent. I'm originally from Britain. I'm, I'm based in Japan now, lived here for 25 years or so. Um, I have been podcasting for 10 years myself as well. So a lot of people, uh, already, already know me from there, but yeah, it's, it's always nice to be on the, on the TWIP, um, show and I'm looking forward to talking. Was it As called for, podcasting 10 years ago? I've been, uh, it was, it was, I was the third podcast to start. There was a couple before me, um, but I, yeah, I was the third one to jump on the bandwagon, and it's been a it's been a huge enabler for me. And plus, you know, put me in t- in touch with a whole world of amazing photographers out there. So I've I've loved it. It's been an amazing ten years. That's awesome. It's actually it's actually nine and nine and a half years. It'll be coming up to ten in September this year. So throwing a party to celebrate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, tell us what you've been up to out there. I've uh, I've actually just got back from a 12-day uh, Hokkaido, the northern island of Japan. I've done a, my first landscape-only tour up there with my friend David Dushman last week. Uh, 12-day tour. We've just got back. It was a pretty amazing experience. And um, I'm now gearing up. I've got my two winter wildlife tours coming up in uh, starting next week. So I'm busy until the end of February. And then I'm I'm really just sort of I'm starting to book my flights for the next big tour, which is going to be Namibia in August. So, um, and we we happen to have two <laughs> two places left open on that one. If if anyone's interested, uh, you can see details at mbp.ac/namibia2015. If if anyone's interested in joining us, it's a pretty cool tour. Right on, that'd be awesome. We'll make sure that we include that link in the show notes as well. Thank you. Super. All right. Well, of course, I am Photo Joseph, and I also run the website thephotosexpert.com, formerly Aperture Expert. And uh, lately, I've just been mainly getting ready for a Lumix tour called the Lumix Shoot Anything Tour that I'm going to be doing with fellow co-host Julio Sciorio and also fellow Luminary. We're going to be running up the coast of the United States, hitting some stops in, let's see, hitting stores in Los Angeles, Santa Barbara. Uh, those of both Sammys will be at Keeble and Shuckett in Palo Alto, we will be at Pro Photo Supply in Portland, and at, what is it, uh, Kenmore Photo up in Seattle. And that is starting in early February. If you head over to lumixlounge.com, you will be able to see all kinds of details about that, and uh, hopefully we'll catch any of new TWIP listeners along the way. And we're talking about putting together a special TWIP event a kind of a meetup on one of those evenings when we're going to be passing through that area. It's not totally set yet, so it's uh, I can't tell you that it's going to happen, but we are certainly trying to put that together. So hopefully, if it does, we'll get to see you out there. So before we jump into the show, let's thank our very first sponsor for this episode of TWIP. That is lynda.com. 
Today, I'd like to personally talk about our friends over at lynda.com. The new year is here, and it's time to learn something new and improve your skills. lynda.com is here to help. They're used by millions of people around the world and have over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business, as well as training on software like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop. And all of their courses are taught by experts, and new courses are added to the website every week. Whether you want to set new financial goals, invest in a new hobby, or find a new job, or improve on your current job skills, lynda.com has something for everyone. Sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting lynda.com slash twip. And with that, you'll get unlimited access to every course on lynda.com. You'll get access to view tutorials on tablets and iPhone or Android mobile devices. Plus, you'll get access to new courses added each and every week. And some of the courses and videos I recommend are, there's one called Foundations of Photography, Exposure and Composition. It's a must-have to round out your education and knowledge of the basics of photography. Plus, there's one called the practicing photographer also very good to round out your basic knowledge of how actual photographers are doing things these days and my favorite so far is one called the traveling photographer series and that's with mr david hobby and one in particular that i've watched twice already he does in seoul south korea so if you've ever considered going to that region watch this video or these series of videos and you'll be ready to go the next day so Try to do something good for yourself in 2015 and sign up for a free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash twip. And I personally challenge you to learn something new this new year. Once again, that's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash twip. Okay, our first story here is about protecting your images from being stolen. So here's the intro. Photographer Sarah Ann Lorth recently published an article on her blog, and of course we'll link to that in the show notes as well, refuting the argument that if you don't want your images stolen, you shouldn't post them on the internet. Sounds pretty fair. But if you read the article, she goes on to reveal several instances where her images have been stolen. In fact, in the article, I think she said she had over 500 cases of this, stolen and used without her permission, ranging from book covers and albums to posters and ads. So in this article... Sarah provides some advice on her thought process when deciding to go after infringers. She also offers up some suggestions to photographers on steps they can take to protect their work online, including using Google reverse image search, watermarking images, registering your copyright, and adding copyright information to your metadata. So great advice there. Absolutely everybody should read this post. It is lengthy but very detailed and lots of good information. But let me just ask the question, Martin, do you post your images online? <laughs> Obviously you do, right? <laughs> Obviously you do. Right, so right. how do you protect them? How do you keep your images from being stolen and used inappropriately online? Uh, you know, I'm, I, I think Sarah has put out a great, um, a great article here. And I, I totally agree with, with pretty much everything she's saying in that, you know, it, there's, there are so many benefits to posting your images online that it greatly outweighs the risk of them being stolen and i i just think that there's you know that if we want to try to reach people with our work then it's the only real way to do it you're not even if you do say for example um local exhibitions of your work to try to reach a certain audience you've still got a very local audience at that point and so the the internet is just really obviously the way to go and no one's going to look at your website if you just talk about photography you really need to illustrate it with with work as well so it's not exactly the kind of art form you can just describe in words that kind of exactly you know, of i've just it? shot this great photo photo of something or other and explain it all it's like a picture's worth a thousand words and people aren't going to read a thousand words just to, to try to figure out what you're trying to explain to them so you know i mean there there is no option if, if you're a photographer and you you want to reach people with your work you really need to to get it online and so the conversation is what what do you like you like you've said you know what do you do to protect it right exactly so do you what do you do do you watermark do you embed metadata do you file your images with the copyright office um which actually that's an interesting question i don't know how that would work for you being british in japan u.s copyright wouldn't apply how that works i'd love to hear that um, but what do you do specifically to protect your images online? Well, 
all of the above, really. I mean, uh, but to be honest, I watermark my images as a marketing thing. It's not, I mean, I've, I've found my images, anyone that is going to take an image and use it is perfectly capable of content-aware removing the, uh, the watermark. I, I do it purely for marketing. When someone looks at an image, I want them to see that it's one of my images. And I've, I've got a, a, a good friend. Um, he's over in Washington State over there, Landon Michaels, and he used to say that, I think it was his dad, quoting his dad, was that locks only keep the um, honest people out. You know, right. that if, you, if you are going to steal something, it's a tiny job to remove a watermark. Um, there are other watermarking technologies, um, Digimark is one that comes to mind and you, where you can embed it and it's not necessarily going to be, it's not visible, it's embedded in tiny pixel changes around the images. Um, so there's ways to do it invisibly. I personally don't use that service anymore. I used to use it years ago and I'm not sure if they've changed this, but you used to have to actually tell it where to look for images and that was pretty dumb if you ask me because if you know where your images are, are possibly being stolen then you know it's you can go you can go and check anyway it, it's kind of helpful but really it needs to be just a generic search um but i mean the other things that we that we talked about i've um i always i create an import preset in lightroom that automatically embeds my copy a full not just in the camera exif data but a full uh copyright notice and a link to my website so if someone does find the image and there's no way to get back to me. If they want to be honest, you know, if they're not the, the if they if the lock stops this person, then you know, give them a way to get in touch with you and and actually find uh, find out how much it would cost to use the image. Um, but you mentioned copyright. I mean, I actually, the U.S. Copyright Office accepts um, registrations from all around the world, and it's because the U.S. Copyright Office is is based on a a treaty that is i think there's some 50 or so com countries that are sort of bought into this it's pretty much the best place to register your copyright no matter where you live well that's um, good to know and, yeah unless you're i mean there are countries like australia where you don't have to register a copyright and you've still got the full ability to take people to court you know the the thing that we we often talk about is that if you don't register your copyright and you go to a copyright lawyer, the first thing they're going to say is, have you got it registered? And if you say no, they'll just say, well, sorry, we can't help you. But that's not the case in Australia. You, you've, the, the original words that, you know, when we always used to say, the copyright comes into being the moment you release the shutter. Mm -hmm. And in Australia, that's law. You know, they, they actually hold people to that, so which is great. I wish it was like that around the world. Um, right. Well, I think it, that is the law here. I mean, it, you do have the copyright, you own the copyright as soon as you push the button. I think it's more a case of how easy that is to prove. And yeah. by registering with the copyright, um, there's there's no question. And frankly, you, maybe you didn't push the button, but you registered the copyright, therefore you own the copyright, and that's that's it. And I think if a copyright lawyer says, well, if you don't have it filed with the copyright office, then we're not going to take the case that's more a case of them saying, well, it's not going to be easy, and maybe they just don't want to do it. There's not enough money in it. Uh, right. But you well, that, do, that's you do point, own that yeah. copyright. Yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just the proving it, it part that's hard. Right. Well, it, I mean, it's not even even that. You, there's, there are various ways to prove it, but it's it's really just whether or not you can get a lawyer to act on your behalf. And if, if you're in a country where that's not the case, then you really need to register it. But, you know, I actually... Um, I, I still have a, an unread email in my inbox. I've been so busy to to get to respond to this, but I I actually haven't been re, uh, registering with the U.S. Copyright Office for for a number. Was it the Library of Congress for a number of months now? Because uh, they've changed the way they do it. And what I used to do was I would just register a batch of images, say the last three months' images, and call them photos from I don't know. January 1st to March 31st. Mm -hmm. And that was, I've been doing that, doing it that way for years. And then the, I think the last one I did, they changed it all and they, they came back and said, you know, you can't really do this. You've got to register it as a certain project. And I'm saying, well, I've been doing it for years and it is a project. It's my photos from January 1st to March 31st. And they're, they're saying, well, you can't do it like that anymore. You, we need to get you into this new system. So well, that's interesting. Thing, yeah, things are changing slightly. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, that's on, something on, I, I haven't heard of that. And that's th- what you're saying, the way you've done it, is absolutely how I've done it as well. And unfortunately, I don't do it often enough. Um, and I haven't gotten any email like that yet. But yeah, I've always just basically made a what amounts to a contact sheet as a PDF right. with sometimes thousands of images at once. And I've mm. never had an issue before. Yeah, well, I I haven't either, but they've they've refused to to um, to register my last. I think it was about six months or so ago. Um, but yeah, they've refused to to register it. So I'm um, I'm currently not registering, and and I'm not even sure that I'll continue and, until the system becomes uh, you know just pretty. I think they offered to put me on a beta program so that I could go in and test. And I don't have the time to mess around with beta stuff. Sure. I just need things to work. Huh. Well, that's interesting. That certainly sounds like a story we need to dig into more on a future episode because that's something that uh, affects everybody, or at least should affect everybody who's, um, mm. and everybody should be copywriting their work. So uh, it's one of those things that it should be easier. Uh, for those of oh, you yeah. listeners out there who haven't done it, you know, it's a pain in the rear. It is just, it's not fun. It's ridiculous how hard it is. It shouldn't be as difficult as it is. Uh, and it's not like you have to fill out massive amounts of paperwork. It's just the website is convoluted and the choices that you, you have to go through don't necessarily make sense. You're not sure if you're picking the right choices. Mm-hmm. And you can upload a, a collection of images, but it's not, it's just the whole process sucks, basically. It really should be a mm-hmm. lot easier. From Lightroom or Aperture or wherever you should be able to say, take these images, upload to here and submit and be done with it. Um, yeah. it, it really should be such a better process. So I want to go back to what you mentioned about the metadata. You said that you have a preset on import. Yeah. All your metadata gets embedded. You get your URL in there, your website, obviously yeah. your copyright name on there. Are you embedding all of those just in those respective fields? Because there is, there are metadata fields for all those things. Or are you putting them all in the caption? Are you putting them in both? Or where are you putting that information? It's all in the metadata. I'm, uh, I've basically got a, the preset puts it in to the copyright field, and then there's a, a URL field. Um, I'm, I'll check at the moment. I think it might be in the IPTC area. Yeah, that's, um, that's where it would be. Yeah. yeah. So down, if you go to the right, the right uh, bar, sidebar in, in Lightroom in the library and select an image, then you I always have the EXIF and IPTC preset uh, displayed, you know, the display preset uh, and that gives you all of the de- details and you'll get things like your website so I make sure that my my website gets published into there and in the copyright status I actually in my preset have this met set to unknown and to me that was because I wanted to mark everything new that had not yet been copyrighted as not being copyrighted and the only option is uh, there's three options, unknown, copyrighted, or public domain. Mm-hmm. And if I leave it as unknown, then I know that I've not copyrighted it yet. Uh, but then when I actually go through and select images and, and submit them to the Library of Congress and register the copyright, then I change it to copyrighted. So it's my way of it was my way of noting which ones had already been copyrighted and which ones had not. That's great. Um, yeah, and then I just put in the right the rights usage terms, all rights reserved, um, I update my preset every year as well, so that it actually puts the copyright symbol and then to the year 2015 for this year, and then Martin Bailey slash, uh, hyphen all rights reserved, and then I put in the in the rights usage terms all rights reserved again. But then just save that as a preset, and that is the preset that I use when I import any image, and it uh, so it gets embedded automatically. Nice. Unfortunately, most I don't know, maybe most isn't the right word, but at least a lot of the image sharing apps do maintain that data and they pull the right data out and they actually display it. And a Flickr is probably one of the better ones for that. I know if you look at the extended mm. data on anybody's photo in Flickr, you'll see quite a bit of information in there. Basically everything that you've just talked about is all going to be on display. Mm. Um, I know some sites it's not as easy to find. Um, I was just looking at 500px and a lot of the data is there, but a lot of it's not quite so obvious. And yeah. then there's sites that basically just strip it all out, like Facebook. So <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. So how do you? What do you do about that? So if you're going to upload, well, do you upload to Facebook? Let's ask that first. Yeah. So I do, but again, it's because I'm I'm not happy with it. I saw a lot of people start to say, okay, well, I'm only going to upload like tiny little images to Facebook from mm-hmm. now on because of the new terms. Um, but you know, honestly, I I 
think that the the marketing benefits of having images on Facebook outweigh the the risk of theft. Yeah. Um, you know, and and people are always going to find a way. If if someone's searching around, they don't they're not necessarily looking on Facebook. They're just doing searches, and Google gives so many um, various options now when it when it throws up images for a, an image search that. I think people are going to find an image that they want to use no matter what. And so, and I don't know, it's just, it, there, there's a risk. I've found my images all over the place. I've I've seen them, like I say, with the watermarks removed. Um, I'll often just email someone and say, hey, you're using one of my images, uh, take it down or or pay me. And the majority of the time it gets taken down. People rarely actually pay for an image once you find it. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's like like we were saying. You know, that if someone's going to steal it, then they're a thief. They're not an honest person that's going to pay for things. Sure. So, so you know, I'm I really don't worry too much about it. And I think that the the big players. You know, I mean, obviously, there's there's not many magazines and things. Although this does come up in Sarah and Lorith's um, article, but there are there's very few times when you'll get some of a legitimate company actually using images illegally they they generally know that they have to pay for stuff and get licenses and so you know it's it's one of those things where if if someone's going to use it then they're either going to try to pay for it from the start or they're they're going to be a thief and they're never going to pay for it um but you know the the thing is is i i actually released a a similar, not quite, not the same as as Sarah's um, article, but a few months ago, I I released a a similar sort of thing where uh, it was a podcast. I think it was um, about three months or so ago. I'd actually f- f- someone emailed me about um, my, a bunch of my images being on a site that I had no idea had been used. It was a whole article about my images, and it was full of them. And my initial reaction was, okay, well, this is good marketing. How do I make sure that I, I get this, uh, you know, get credit? And I went, and there was a link right back to my website, and it was all, it all seemed fine, but I'd not heard about it. Now, a few years ago, that would have had me reeling, and I would have been, okay, how do I get some money out of these people? How do I, uh, how do I protect my rights? How do I do this, that? But, but you know, I'm looking at, I'm thinking, well, it's good marketing. It's not a big deal. I contacted them and asked them what it was all about, and it turned out that these particular I'm I'm represented by Offset and a stock agency, and they had actually asked this company to um, to to run a story on my images um, because because I didn't know about that. It would have been nice to have known ahead of time, sure. but. It would have been really embarrassing if I'd have gone, oh, what are you doing with my images? Right. And, and the next thing, oh, well, actually, we've been asked to do it by the people that are trying to sell your images for you, you idiot. Um, <laughs> you know, so so I, I think that just taking a step back, taking a deep breath, thinking about these things is always the best way to start. Um, but the, the, the extended story around that is that that article is, it was from, let me just check, uh, featureshoot.com. And these these guys have a big readership, and that actually led to probably more than three to four million views of my images because a number of other big companies picked up on the story and ran it. None of them asked permission, and um, actually a few of them did in in the end. But it turned out that that gave me probably three or four million eyes on my work. It didn't take me a lot of time. All all I did was literally. Uh, asked a few questions, and that was the only time I invested in this. And someone else did a hell of a lot of marketing sure. work for me. So you know, just just a lot of the time, just let it happen. And uh, if you feel you've been um, treated unjustly, then start to take some action. But you know, the marketing benefits of of having your images out there to me far outweighs uh, the you know the the nasty yeah, side or the possibility, the risk. So now with all those extra millions of views, did any of that turn into paid work or commissions or sales of prints or anything like that? Any cash in your pocket as a result of it? Well, you know, it's hard to say because I, I don't always know how people find my work. Sure. But they, they say that for someone to remember your name, they've got to see it five times in, mm-hmm. a, in a legitimate place. And so I, if, if that's just one person uh, who's got one impression of my name, then it's it's one towards them remembering sure. me and and if people remember me then it's it's more likely that you know and, and my business is gradually growing i'm i'm filling tours uh, my 
The Winter Wildlife tours that I'm about to do have been sold out for a while, and I've actually almost sold out the 2016 tours. So, you know, things are things are coming together, and it's probably partly down to the fact that people are seeing my name more than they would have done in the past. So right. it's really hard to say. Well, that's great. We The rest of the stories are pretty light for today, so I want to kind of stick on this topic but go off in a different direction a bit here. You had mentioned mm. licensing when uh, when we were first talking about this. And mm. what is your procedure for licensing an image, or do you work that way? Do you license images for commercial use, for company XYZ to use, for you know whatever it is they use for their marketing or T-shirts and so on? And mm. if you do, how do you keep track of those licensed images? Because I know if you're a busy photographer and you've got hundreds or even thousands of licensed images out there, it can be really difficult to keep track of which ones are expiring, uh, mm. what's coming up uh, for renewal, and so on. So what's your workflow for that? You know, so far, um, before I joined Offset, what I've done is I've used a product called PhotoQuote Pro. Mm-hmm. And this is that basically just gives me the ability to create a license, send it to someone. And once I once I've sent that out, you know, that a lot of the time they'll either they'll either walk away because they don't want to pay a, a, a reasonable price for an image, or they'll they'll take me up on it, they'll buy a license. And I really don't get too hung up on on checking that things have been, you know, that they've stopped using them at the right time. It, the majority of the time, if someone wants to continue to use an image, they come back to me after a year or whenever it runs out. And so I don't get too hung up on that part. But um, right now, what I do is, the since I started working with Offset a couple of years ago when they when they launched, I, I actually have very little visibility onto who has a, a legitimate license for my images. And so this is kind of a... a a hole in the in the process at the moment. Sure, and that's going to make it harder that, for you if you find images exactly. online that you don't know if they're legally used or not. You don't want right. to just, like the other company, you don't want to reach out to them and piss them off and yeah. embarrass yourself because they're using <laughs> exactly. it legitimately, but you thought they weren't. Exactly. So, so I mean, what what I know that Offset are working on this, but it's uh, it's one of the another reason for me to just stop, take a deep breath, and think, okay, how do I how do I proceed? Um, but the the other side of that that I was going to mention is that now the majority of the time. Unless someone comes to me with a request for something specific that I know they are prepared to pay a you know a, a slightly higher rate for, then I just put them in, in touch with Offset. I will say, okay, I, this image is is on Offset. It means that I'm I'm giving up a percentage because Offset charge to to make this happen, but I I really don't have the time to deal with custom licenses with people now sure. I photo I still have photo quote and I can spit out a license relatively quickly but for me I would rather pay a percentage of the licensing fee to offset um, because you know those guys work hard they they do a lot of keywording for me and there's all sorts of things that they do for their money can and you so explain what rather... offset is for any listeners who may not be familiar with it yeah it's basically yeah, it's a, a sister company of Shutterstock so if you know Shutterstock the the you know the the stock library then it's pretty much the same as that but offset is is curated it's a little more expensive people will pay i think it's either 250 dollars or 500 dollars for a license as opposed to a lot less um but it's curated and they do a lot of work to like i say they when i submit a batch of images i'll, I'll put in some of the main keywords like I, you know if it's an animal i'll make sure i've got the name of the animal the location that i shot it and all of that but offset then their team goes away and adds whole like for example if it if it might fit, if it feels like a happy photo they'll put happy in there mm-hmm. if it's you know if it's um got a if it's full of snow for example they'll probably add the word snow um anything that i've missed they go away and do that so the way i look at it is is they're working hard to help me market my work and to to help people to buy my work i would rather just basically outsource the licensing part to to offset as well when even when someone comes directly to me so it's like yes i'm represented by offset please go over here you can buy the image here and and that for me is a a lot easier now than trying to actually produce and maintain a list of people who's got the images and all of that so i i I rarely actually license images directly now in fact the, the last the last thing i i actually licensed um, directly was video, and that's because uh, Offset don't yet have don't mm-hmm. yet offer video clips. So yeah, cool. I'm I'm really just outsourcing it now. 
That's great. I know that uh, in a recent episode, maybe the one or two ago, Frederick was interviewing, you know, had Nicole Z, Nicole Young on the show. And yeah. she, of course, used to be a huge Microstock comp- contributor. And now she's backing away from that because just, uh, just the rules and the money just really aren't working in her favor anymore. Uh, but mm. it sounds like a situation like this where it's curated, maybe a higher quality image. Uh, like you said, they're doing some of the work on their end, which is great because, frankly, keywording is a pretty well, it's extremely important and a pretty crappy and difficult part of the job to do to really mm, know mm. what to do right. It sounds like there is a there is life in stock yet, um, just on the higher end. Maybe it's the the low end stock is going away, and you know, good riddance to that. Frankly, I'm mm. be sad to see that go away, and be <laughs> nice to see people make a living doing stock again. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Very cool. Well, I know for me. I do license images, and I don't do it a huge amount. It's not the kind of thing where I need some massive database, but I know that I have always been looking, and I've tried a few different things. I've tried making things in FileMaker Pro, but you know, I'm just, I don't know, I'm not a database guy like that. It's just not, my brain doesn't really work that way. And mm. it has cost me money in the past. You know, I have before realized the images were, licenses were expired and gone back to the companies, and I've had companies say, oh, well, uh, yeah, we're sorry, we'll take the image down, and that's that, which, you know, of course I could fight it and say, well, you had it up, you have to pay me, but you never want to piss mm-hmm. off a, a paying client. But I've also had clients where they said, uh, well, we're really sorry, we didn't realize that. Um, send us an invoice for the license, if you don't mind backdating that, and then add another year or two onto it so we can keep on using it, and that's great. Yeah. And that's one of those where I literally had just thought one day, I wonder, are they still using that image? And I looked on the website, and sure enough, it was there, and I shot an email and got the apology request for an invoice. And, you know, 30 days later, I got paid. And that's yeah. money that I would not have seen had I not remembered to reach out about that. So mm, yeah. for anybody listening who is licensing, you know, keeping track of that is, is really important, and finding a good way to do it is also important. And if you have a great system for it, shoot me an email. Let me know. I'd love to hear what it is because, frankly, um, the system I'm using kind of sucks. So I <laughs> could definitely use something better. Right on. All right, well, I think we've pretty well uh, beaten this horse into the ground. Uh, it's, you know, there's clearly you can't not put your images online. If you're a photographer mm. today, you got to get your images out there. And yes, there's a certain level of acceptance that your images are going to be borrowed, stolen, whatever you want to call it. They are going to get used by other people. Most cases, it is not nefarious. People aren't out to get you. They're just using it because they're either ignorant to the law or Mm. just realize or just at least believe that it just doesn't matter. Um, Mm. You know, if you've got kids, if you've got teenagers around, I'm sure you see this kind of thing all the time. They just they don't think that way. And that doesn't make it right. But it's true. You know. You know, Joseph, that, that reminds me of, I, I remember getting back from a trip once, I think it was to Iceland in 2013, and I posted a bunch of images, and one guy chimes up and said, this is beautiful work, you're crazy posting it here. And and it was obvious from the way he said it that he thought I, yeah, it was free-for-all. Oh. And Im- immediately, <laughs> all of the people that, were, that follow me on Google+, Plus, not all of them, but a few people jumped up and said, you know, just because he's posting it here doesn't mean that he's giving you the right to use it. It's it's you know it's still copyrighted, you know. And the guy obviously just didn't know, you know. And so and that's what I think happens a lot of the time. Yeah, People don't realize. Yeah. They they think even now. I mean, twenty years ago this was more understandable. But even now, people think if it's on the internet, it's free. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're giving people permission to look at it, and that automatically equals permission to use it. So, you know, there are people that still think that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, they'd be wrong. Well, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fortunately. Yeah. Fortunately, they're wrong. Yeah. Well, all right. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the next one. I think we've uh, we've hit that one pretty good. So the next story is uh, a little brief. The headline reads: Apple patent approval sends GoPro stock sliding. I don't know how much of a slide it was, but I guess it did slip a little bit. Uh, But let me just read this here. This is a recent patent approval from Apple uh, that sent the share price of GoPro down for a tumble. And according to TechCrunch, Apple has been awarded a patent by the U.S. Patent Office based on IP that's international, inter, not international, intellectual property. I can read. It acquired from Kodak <laughs> in a deal from 2013, which details a remote digital camera system that could be controlled from a smartwatch. Now, I think most readers, most listeners can kind of figure out where that might go with the smartwatch part. Uh, the Apple patent specifically seeks to address flaws identified in the design 
of competitors, including the GoPro HD Hero 2 cameras, which it claims are susceptible to movement based on wind resistance that affects final image output. Now, that's fairly obvious. If the camera moves, no matter what makes it move, that is going to affect the final output. Now, to continue, the Apple patent, which includes images that still bear Kodak's branding on technical drawings representing the system it describes, describes a system with multiple camera sensors to cover multiple angles and to provide coverage in multiple directions. I'm just going to leave it there. Now, that part sounds kind of cool. And if you read that, you might be thinking, well, okay, if Apple's patenting this, what does it mean? Are they going to start releasing competitors to the GoPro? Or are we going to start seeing some kind of uh, action camera from Apple? Or is this just them protecting future possibilities, things that they might want to do? And of course, with that watch connection in there, the ability to control any kind of a, a remote camera or multi-lensed remote camera to minimize movement from your smartwatch, from your Apple watch, of course. Uh, mm. Lots of different ideas in there. And it, it's it's kind of an kind of an open story. There's not a whole lot to really say about this, but you have anything that you wanted to, any thoughts you want to chime in on this, Martin? No, you know, I I don't really think that it's it's something to worry about. I was just looking at the the stock chart for GoPro. It's at, they've actually dropped from December 26th, they've dropped from $69 down to 47 now. So that's like a, a 20, that's 30% drop or so. That's so that's pretty significant. Yeah. So I'm, it, it kind of scares, yeah, I mean, that's it. It kind of scares me that um, something like this can have such an effect on, on a respectable company, you know, because GoPro, I mean, I've, I've had my moments with GoPro. I thought the GoPro Hero 3 was a piece of crap for the first three months. <laughs> um, it just didn't work. And I literally, I, I invested a lot of time and money in, in the GoPro uh, system when it, when the, the Hero 3 came out and until they exchanged both both of them I bought two they exchanged them both and until a couple of firmware updates I literally couldn't use the things so I'm I'm not a, a big GoPro f fan but it I, it doesn't mean that I wish them ill in any way and I, it kind of saddens me that something like this can have such an effect on someone's uh, stock price it, I mean when you look at it, I'm I'm really not sure of the the all of the details. I've I've read the article, and I've got an idea of what it's about. But it seems to me that the main thing that they're pointing out is that wind will hit the front face of the GoPro and shake the camera a bit. You know, and to me, I mean, it's an action camera. I don't really mind too much if it's a bit shaky at times. I mean, there's going to be a lot more shake coming in from if you've got it attached to say the handlebars of a bike. There's going to be a lot more camera shake coming in from actually, you know, from sure. the, the movement of the bike, and so it it really doesn't worry too too much about worry me too much about you know the actual um, the problem that's being raised here. Uh, the the for me the the bigger the bigger problem is that something like this can have such a a huge effect on the on the stock price, and sure. and that and that affects the ability of a company to actually develop new technology you know if if they if they've got a low stock price they're going to find it a lot more difficult to actually get the you know the funds together to continue to invest in future technology yeah, and, yeah fair you know, enough I, mean, I, I will be buying gopros again i mean that the four the fours come out i'm not going to jump on it as quickly as before um but the, you know when i've got another project comes up that requires a gopro i'll probably still buy them i like i like the system i like the idea of the you know the quality the image quality is fine um, pretty pretty good actually, um, yeah. so you know it's something that I I'm more worried about the the ramifications. I love using the word ramification. <laughs> um, I'm more worried about the ramifications of of this sort of thing and you know how it can damage other companies quite easily. I wonder if this this bit in the paragraph here about how the camera includes multiple uh, multiple sensors to cover multiple angles. Mm. That's that's a really interesting idea, and that's the kind of thing where you think, well, okay, if Apple got into the action camera market, and or even mm. putting this on an iPhone, because obviously people walk and take video with their iPhone, or take pictures with their iPhone uh, while they're moving, and that's mm. not necessarily pleasant to watch. But if you had a way with multiple cameras to kind of build a stabilized view of that mm. world, that's mm. a that's interesting, and maybe it, part it of this is, is because uh, GoPro was starting to do that, and now realizes they can't. I don't know, uh, but that's, Ma a, that's maybe so. an interesting aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if that if that's what happened, then again, it's kind of sad because GoPro are obviously um, leaders in this field, 
And again, you know, being able to put a block on that is is not great. Um, but you know, I mean, if if that's what it is, multiple cameras to as a way of stabilizing, then you know, that's that's good. I mean, I I actually have a a drive recorder in my car which has two cameras and not one, and and they're both facing sideways. And then the software in the camera actually just um, it, it merges it together to make one big wide view of the whole of the front of the car. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm I. I think that it could be something like that as well, whereas, you know, you're using multiple cameras and stitching the image together automatically to form what looks like one larger image uh, or maybe a wider aspect ratio than uh, than we're used to. So, I mean, and I, I really can't get from the article what which way they're, they're pointing with this, but, you know, if it means that Apple are about to release something that is, is quite exciting, then that's good too. But it, it just feels a little bit, uh, a little bit of a, the wrong way to go about it when you have to stamp on other companies to, to make your own uh, stronger. But you know, yeah, that happens. That but you happens you have to make your patents. You have to protect your IP. And if uh, you know, just just by protecting that intellectual property, um, their stock price went down. That's not necessarily the fault of Apple. They're just protecting what they own. So. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Alrighty, well, uh, let's uh, let's move on from that. Well, if anybody's interested in that, you can obviously Google that. I'm sure you'll find a story about it, or there will be a link to that original story in the show notes as well. So let's yeah. move on to story number three. This one is mostly just a public service announcement. This isn't much of a story in itself, but uh, the whole thing is about changes coming to Sony's Play Memories online service. So they're going to be rolling out some changes coming up starting in March. And while changes are usually good, in this case, they're not necessarily great. There's a few functions that are going to stop working as of March 1st. So if you are a Sony Play Memories user, you're going to want to listen up close. Your photo books and postcards and Play Memories online will be terminated. The the ability to create, view, and share them will go away on March 1st. Also, the functionality to access your uh, Play Memories Studio app from a PlayStation 3 will be terminated. And finally, if you are on Android 2 or 3, you will no longer be able to use the software as it was going to be requiring for Android 4.0 or later. So a little PSA in there. Now, we were talking about this before the show a little bit. Uh, as much as this sucks, if you're a Sony Play Memories user, it's not like Sony is the first to ever do this. And unfortunately, as much as I hate to say it, Apple is very guilty of this. Most recently would be the change to iOS 8, where iPhoto for iOS, which is it was a fantastic app, just disappeared. And mm-hmm. the albums and books, slideshows, all the wonderful things that you could build in photos were simply gone. And it wasn't even a case of of being able to save them, being able to go up and and archive them. They were just gone. So if you upgraded to 8, that was the end of it. So lesson here is if you, no matter what software you're using, keep in mind that that's temporary, right? There is nothing out there that is forever this way. It's any software that you can think of, the company behind it can at any point decide to stop developing it or worse. So that's pretty much all there is to that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Don't put your eggs in one basket. You know, you, you can save out your uh, your file formats to more universal formats like JPEG and TIFF uh, so that you can ensure that you'll be able to open them farther down the road. But, you know, even that's not guaranteed. It's, you know, 100 years and something tells me you probably will have a hard time opening some of those file formats. Uh, You you know, Joseph, you've got a great voice for reading that out. (laughs) I'm sitting there thinking I'm listening to a real PSA. Will be terminated. Will be terminated. (laughs) And unfortunately, this one will not be back. Yeah, that, that, that was bad. All right. Do you have anything you want to add? <laughs> no, We're no, definitely I mean, going really, off the rails here. It, it really is. Uh, yeah, you covered it great. All right. Let's, uh, let's before we jump into the Q&A, we are going to thank our second sponsor for this episode of TWIP, and that is FreshBooks. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy cloud solution helping millions of small business owners save time invoicing and get paid faster. You know, as photographers, we capture moments, feelings, vistas, all that cool stuff, even perspectives. But what we don't think to capture sometimes is the income picture of our businesses. You know, income, your expenses, your billable time, all that stuff. And I think one of the reasons why we don't do that is because capturing all those things 
is boring. That's a simple fact. It's just boring doing that. We'd rather be out taking pictures. Now, thankfully, FreshBooks offers small business owners and freelancers a way to keep track of their time and money without breaking your workflow or lifestyle. You can invoice your clients. You can do it in mere minutes. Expenses can be automatically imported so you don't have to lift a finger. You can track billable time. Basically, they take the hassle out of running your photography business by joining millions of freelancers and entrepreneurs using FreshBooks to run their businesses. So really cool stuff. And this week in photo and basically anything I do personally business wise is run using FreshBooks. And I've been doing it for several years now and I can't tell you how much time it has saved me in terms of headache and following up with clients and billing and getting paid, all that stuff. You know, their tagline is it, it It says, you know, let me read it here. It says it helps you save time invoicing and get paid faster. And that's exactly what it did for, did for me. I had a stack of things that I had to do, you know, people to reach out to, to, you know, bug about getting paid or all these different things. And once I imported everything into FreshBooks, it basically said, okay, Frederick, yeah, we got this. And they took it over and I get paid, you know, and it just works. I don't think I would be able to run my business as efficiently as I do without FreshBooks. So definitely check them out. And FreshBooks, our sponsor for this episode, is free to try for This Week in Photo listeners. All you got to do is go to freshbooks.com slash twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section to start your free trial. So get out there, capture some beautiful moments and your business finances. Just go to freshbooks.com slash twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section. It is time for some Q&A. This week's question is from Chris Nelson from our Google Plus page. Chris asks, how often do you calibrate the focus in your camera and or your lenses? Is it worth the $100 plus investment in the calibration kit or will DIY work as well? I have noticed the images in my D7000 are soft no matter the lens I use. Is this a sign I need to calibrate or perhaps another issue? Um, Martin, are you a Nikon shooter? I'm not. I'm Canon. You're Canon, um, okay. Yeah, but I, I do have a bit of advice on this. Excellent. Um, and this is actually, uh, it's the same as my, I'm going to make this my pick of the week as well. Mm. Um, there's a tool out there called Focal, um, and you can you can find this at uh, fo-cal.co.uk, co.uk. It's a dash uh, for you Americans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Focal basically automatically does this for you. You have to do things like print out a, a target, pin it to the wall, but then once you connect up your camera, if you've got a Nikon or a Canon, and if you use a Mac or a or a PC, then this software basically runs and it'll tell you it'll tell you where to point your camera, and then once you start it off, it will just run off and do a whole bunch of automated tests and. In the major for the majority of cameras, it will automatically set your micro adjustment for you based on the results of the test. And so, you know, Focal is is just really the way to go. I've I've done this years ago with um, with manual charts. You put them at forty five degrees and you you do all of these tests and things, but it's still very hit and miss, and it's a it's a very laborious task to do if you try to do it all manually. Um, and I. I'm actually I'm looking for the price for Focal right now. I think uh, plus, hang on, it's got standard. I yeah, even the Pro, the best one is like sixty nine pounds, seventy pounds, which is probably what a hundred dollars or so. Yeah, give or take. Um, yeah, so I I would just recommend Focal. Um, this is I don't use it all the time. I I sometimes you know my my lenses are rarely that far off that I worry about it, but if if you do it, it's often, you know, once you run these tests, it's often um, surprising how far your lenses really are off. Um, sometimes it makes you wonder how you ever shot a sharp photo in the first place. So, yeah, I mean, if you've, if you've, got, if you've got the need to calibrate uh, any kind of micro adjustment for lenses, then Focal, in my, in my opinion, is the way to go. That's very cool. I had not seen that before, and I have only tried to do the micro adjustments once, and... Hmm on a lens that I knew was soft. And mm. in the process of doing that, what I learned was that the, the lens didn't need to have micro adjustments, that the lens actually needed to be repaired. So yeah. that can be a part of it as well. Now for our reader here, our listener who is uh, asking about it, if every lens you've got is showing up soft, 
I would imagine there's an issue in the body itself. Uh, that's, this is true. That certainly shouldn't be the case. I mean, a D7000, mm-hmm. that's a, you know, I don't even know what that camera is, but I'm, that sounds like a fairly modern and new camera. Do you know if that's uh, what that model is? I'm just going to Google that really quick. I think I think it is a relatively new one. But, yeah, you're right. If this is happening with all of the images, then for sure it's it's more than likely something wrong with the camera. Yeah, it could um, be a case of the autofocus. There's something you know, wrong with the autofocus, so it's just not focusing accurately. Or it could mm-hmm. be a case where the um, uh, the plane is off, there's a maybe a torque in the body so that the lenses are not true. And so even though the camera is focusing as accurately as it possibly can, there's never a conversion point where the light is truly, truly being sharp on the sensor. That could be mm-hmm. That could be at play as well. Um, the reader doesn't say what kind of lenses he's got, so if they're Nikon lenses, then absolutely I, I'm going to start looking at the body. If, however, your all of your lenses, quote, all of your lenses are a couple of very low-end aftermarket third-party lenses, then perhaps it's just a quality of the glass. So it's kind mm-hmm. of hard to know without knowing what exactly the hardware is you're using in addition to the camera. Um, but mm. it's it's easy enough to test. Um, I remember because my dad was in photography, into photography, and I remember him setting up newspaper on the wall, just a taping a piece of yeah. newspaper on the wall, and stepping back from with the camera and focusing on that. And you know, of course, this is back in the days of film, so he'd shoot them and process them and look at them under a loop and look to make sure that everything was sharp. Um, but you can do the same thing, you know, to make sure that it really truly is that the camera is not focusing right or that it's not sharp. Just have that perfectly controlled situation. Put the newspaper print on the wall, set the camera on a tripod, make sure there's no vibration, put the camera on. Uh, if you don't have a shutter release, which if you do, great. If you don't, put it on self-timer, let it take that exposure, and then look at that at 100% and see. And if you find at that point that it actually is sharp, start looking for other things. Maybe you're shooting at too long of a shutter speed most of the time, so it's just a handheld issue. Uh, maybe you've got image, what is it, um, image stabilization on Nikon, what is it called, VR, right, vibration reduction. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you've got that turned on when you shouldn't. There are, vibration reduction is not the kind of thing you want on all the time. So there may be cases where uh, where that's at play. So there could be a lot of things at it, but if you're noticing it consistently through all of your lenses and your lenses are good quality and you know that you're getting the camera solid, I'm going to start to lean towards it's probably a camera body issue. Um, definitely mm. worth checking out. Absolutely. All right. So let's jump into our picks of the weeks. You, however, have already given yours, haven't you? You want to elaborate on <laughs> yeah. that Focal Co. UK anymore? That is really cool. i got to go try this thing out. Yeah, I I, um, I definitely think that Focal is, is a, a great product. I've been using it for a few years. Like I say, I don't do it all the time, um, but the it's it's worth the investment it's not a not a big deal and you know a hundred dollars just say it might be a lot of money to some people but i think if you're already spending thousands on lenses then it's probably a, an investment that you can manage um but you know one good thing about focal and this is something that is it's in beta right now i believe but they're about to release a version two of focal and with that they're going to have a, an extra service that you can buy which will basically give you access to data from all of the same lenses uh, and bodies all around the world. So you you can actually then say if you've got a 50 millimeter f1.2 and and it's back focusing or or you know it's a little bit softer, then you can check your te- you can actually compare your results to the results of other people with the same lens all around the world that are using Focal, of course. Very so cool. it basically opens up a you, you can go in and say okay i've got a really crappy copy of this lens or i've actually got a superstar copy of this lens and and you, you know you can basically get that information uh, and that's coming up in there they're, they're about to release i think the beta version of of focal 2 and that's going to be a new part of that so that's that's a lot of a lot of fun that's very cool right on well i will definitely be checking that out even though i see it's just canon and nikon right now i finally found the what cameras are supported list uh, yeah I'm i think a, i think it is yeah yeah so i'll have to reach out to them and see if they are going to be expanding that into the mirrorless market um but frankly my cameras are sharp but <laughs> but it's always yeah. worth checking for sure well yeah i mean that, that's cool. the thing i you know i'm i'm generally happy but if there's if there's ever a little bit of doubt then it's just a great tool to have sometimes just to go and check yeah um, well you know yeah. actually i will because i've got my Canon, I still have my Canon gear, and some of those lenses I was sure 
were soft. And every once in a while, I'd get something that's tax sharp, but more often than not, I'd be a little bit soft. I'm going, man, am I just bad or is there something wrong here? And it mm. was, I'd get a perfectly sharp shot often enough where I'd start to go, okay, I'm just doing something wrong. I'm being an idiot. I'm not holding it steady, whatever, blaming it on mm. me. But now that, that I see this, I'm going to grab this thing and check out all my old gear and, uh, and make sure that it's working right. It actually sounds like a great job for my assistant, come to think of it. Mm. Perfect. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. <laughs> uh, so my pick of the week, I'm going to grab two. The first one I already mentioned, it is that road show that we're doing. So the Lumix Shoot Anything Tour, we kick it off on, uh, let's see, I leave home February 5th, so it's a few days after that. I don't recall the dates. Maybe 7th is our first show. That could be. But uh, go to lumixlounge.com and check out all the info on that. And my second proper, proper pick of the week is a, this is a bit of a biggie, but it is the 5K iMac. I don't know if anybody's mentioned that as their pick yet, but man, that screen is nice. I know it's not the, (laughs) you know, super Adobe RGB color gamut, but once you get used to looking at retina screens, it is really Mm. hard to go to a non-retina screen. And I know that's very snobby sounding, but frankly, it just is. And look, I'm not 20 years old anymore. My eyes are no longer perfect. So having that extra crisp, extra sharp image on screen is really, really nice. And if you haven't looked at one yet and you don't have the budget for one, I highly recommend that you don't go and look at one. Uh, That's a surefire (laughs) way to end up putting money on your credit card that you don't need to do. But uh, have you you played with one of those, Martin? You know, I haven't. But what you just said... uh, actually leads into a, a, a bit of a, a, a comment about the last time I think I was on TWIP, um, we, we talked about this briefly, and one of the listeners emailed me about the exactly what you're, to, you're talking about. You know, it, it's not uh, Adobe RGB, so is it really worth worth buying into that technology? And, you know, I, I have two monitors in front of me right now. One of them's a, a, a little bit long in the tooth, Azol, the E-I-Z-O. Oh, sure. Um, and these are amazing monitors. They they show more detail in the in the textures and, and the gradations than the iMac. Uh, I've got the iMac is the second, well, the main the main monitor, and the Azol is a, is a sub at the moment. But mm-hmm. um, for sure, you know, the iMac is not as capable a monitor as far as how many colors it will show you. But if it's calibrated, then there's there's very little difference. And they're beautiful. You know, you look at a, a, a display this size. If you can get a like a 5K monitor, and you, you're literally, I mean, you're getting a full computer, a very powerful computer right with it for just a few a few hundred bucks more, yeah, really. It's true. You know, it, would, it would cost you this amount. I was I was talking to the people at Azol last year at a at a trade show here in Japan, and I asked if they were planning on bringing out a a 4K Azol monitor, and I I haven't checked to see if that's on the cards or not yet, but they said you know we're thinking about it, but we think that the price will be prohibitive because it's probably going to be about about two thousand two thousand to three thousand dollars just for the monitor, and. That you'll pay that. You'll not, you won't pay much more than that for one of the top end iMacs with this right. with a 5K monitor. So you know, if you calibrate them, these things brush up really nice. And even if you don't calibrate them, it depends what you want to do with them. But they're they're an amazing display. And I'm basing this just on the non-Retina 27 inch. I I can only imagine how how cool the the you know the Retina version of this is. Yeah, it it's pretty special. But I will point out, though, for anybody listening who's in the market for these and looking at 4K displays versus the iMac 5K and so on, there is a fundamental difference in what you're going to see on the screen. Because with a 4K display, you are working in a, let's call it a standard mode, a non-retina mode, where you're getting the 4,000 pixels across. And that's, if you open up a picture that's 4,000 pixels, it takes the whole thing. If you create a uh, a numbers or Excel spreadsheet, and each column is you know, 100 pixels wide, that the math is going to all add up that way. You're going to get your 4,000 pixels. But when you go retina, when you go on the 5K, you're not looking at 5,000 pixels wide as far as a pixel for pixel. You're looking at basically half of that. So you're looking at the same, I believe it's 2760, I think is the right number, wide pixels that you have on your current 27-inch iMac. It's just that everything is pixel doubles, everything is sharper and cleaner. You don't gain any real estate. Now you can put uh, put the computer into true 5K mode where you are seeing a pixel for pixel, but because it's only a 27 inch display, 
everything's microscopic. I mean, it's, it's virtually mm-hmm. unusable. It's incredibly sharp, but it's virtually mm-hmm. unusable. And this is the problem that I had when I was trying to decide what display to get before I ended up buying the iMac. Because, and I tried, bought a couple of different types of displays and returned them just because I wasn't happy with it. The balance between the number of pixels on screen, the density of the pixels, and actual, actual real estate just wasn't balancing out. Um, so I gave up a bit of real estate to go this way. You know, the 4K monitor is more real estate, especially looking like a 31, 32-inch display. I get more stuff on screen at once there, but the text isn't that retina smoothness that I have come to love and appreciate and expect because every other device that I've got is Retina, right? My MacBook Pro, mm. my iMac, um, iPod, and I, or iPhone rather, iPad, those are all Retina. And suddenly mm. one screen, the one that I'm looking at the most, the one that I'm doing my photo edits isn't, it just didn't compute. So that's why I went mm. that way. But a uh, lot of choices out there for sure. But uh, again, if, you, if you're not shopping for it, don't look at it. I regret it. <laughs> uh, well, you, you're you're pulling me in just as we talk here. Yes, it's fine. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I'm a I'm a conscientious business owner. I I like to get for a desktop. I I need to use it for four years. Yeah. Um, so my accountant wants to see the, the things working um, in, by clockwork, and so my laptops are three years. Laptop laptops are three years. And my my desktops are four years, so I can't buy one for another couple of years. But ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah. I actually yeah. squeezed almost five years out of my last iMac. It was a 2009 model, so yeah, um, great. It was it was time. It was definitely yeah. time. Yeah, perfect timing. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Of course, next year I'll come out with you know something even better. <laughs> oh well. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Twip. So thanks to our sponsors for their support. And Martin, where can our audience find you? Yeah, um, everything is on the top page, link from the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com. So yeah, love to see you over there. Excellent. And I'm going to point everybody to my newly updated joseph.info page. That's a URL that I acquired quite some time ago, and I had kind of a honestly kind of a crappy landing page at it. It was just a landing page to find out everything about me. The You want info about Joseph? Go to joseph.info type of a thing. But I've just redone it. I am quite pleased with it. I'll probably be tweaking it forever and ever, but it's uh, it's got a whole <laughs> new look and I really am liking it now. And I would appreciate it if you guys head over there, take a look at it, and hit that little contact me button and shoot me a note and tell me what you think of it. That'd be awesome. So that is it. Don't forget to visit our website at thisweekinphoto.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.